Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, once again, there are certain principles you've outlined in your word. Please flesh them out. But more importantly, may these principles become part of us to influence or to be used to influence those that don't know you, to get to know you around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll just review some of the principles we've learned. Uh, the first principle is to reach your loved ones, you must become what? A servant. A servant. A servant. Give me three characteristics of a servant. The purpose of their existence is to wait upon their superiors. The purpose of existence is just to wait upon superiors. What's another one? Rights. Rights. And then? Not judge you don't judge or share. That's right. Unless you're asked, you don't judge or share. And that's hard. Because if Christ has done something for you, it's like, you, you know, the reason you're like that is because you're not, you know. <laughs> it's very difficult because they need Christ. Christ is a solution if they can just believe in Christ. But it's to be able to hold back, you know, and allow the Spirit to open up opportunities for you. Uh, to be able to share. And friends, I'm not the one to tell you when to speak, not to speak. You know, some people will tell you, well, you need to do that. No, the Spirit moves. Sometimes the Spirit will use shock treatment and will allow you just to tell them, you know, you need to keep the Sabbath. You know, <laughs> that's it. Um, and that may be exactly what they need at that point, you know, but make sure that it's the Spirit of God that is moving you and not something else, right? Um, another principle number two, never separate what two things? Friendship and evangelism. Apart from each other, they can be very detrimental, right? Um, then we talked about how the just shall live by faith, how faith comes by hearing the word of God, and the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and inspires faith and brings about sanctification in people's lives. So if we really want people to be changed, the focus should not be just to invite them to church. Are you with me? I think that's a very important point. Some people think that the goal is just if I can get them into church, I'm doing good. Do you know that if you get a person into church too early or too late, that, well, too early, that could be a bad thing. I don't know if you could get them too late, but, <laughs> right? So just to get people into church should not be our motive, number one. Number two, your motive should not be just to get people baptized. Because if someone has not had an encounter with Jesus, and the encounter with Jesus is brought about by the Word of God through the Holy Spirit, then what's the point of getting them baptized? It's a dry devil, wet devil, right? So it's very important. No, point number two, let's not separate friendship from evangelism. Principle number three is that people are changed by what two instrumentalities? God's Word and his spirit. So the spirit of God uses the word of God to be able to bring about conviction, to bring about sanctification, to bring about a change in people's lives. So if you study the word of God with someone, I'll be honest with you, friends, many times when you read, it's boring. You read and you may not fully understand, but there is still power in God's word. So you should study the word of God with people. And as you study, it may be boring for you, it may be boring for them. But keep studying. There is something that happens with the Word of God. It inspires faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, right? Uh, principle number four, that's number three. Uh, people are changed by the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. I am not the what? Holy 
Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. My role is to be filled with His Spirit every day and be available, waiting, watching, praying for opportunities like a dog, like a servant, just waiting for opportunities to be able to show myself kind and compassionate that a door of opportunity may be open so that we can become good friends and bring them to church? No, that the door of opportunity may be open for me to be able to connect that individual with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Amen? Mm-hmm. Number four, friendship is a means to a, an end, right? Friendship is what allows me to get close enough in this person's life so that I, through the Spirit of God working in me and the Word of God, whether verbal or you know, written, can bring about a change in his life. I was sharing with um, Mr. Whistle how, uh, how, uh, how, <laughs> his name is Sifle, which means whistle in French, right? Um, Brother, I don't remember what I was sharing with you, but that's all right. God is still good. Amen. It allows a door of opportunity to get close to people to be able to do something in their lives. Uh, People, you know, there are people that are, even in my church, I've realized there was people that have come to church for five years, six years, and nobody has asked them if they want to study the Bible. I remember I went went to church once. I was in Ottawa, and there was a lady just across the church, uh, and I decided I'm just going to talk to her. So I went over to the gate and I started chatting with her. Her property ended at a gate that overlooked the parking lot to the church. And I just started talking with her and then I invited her to come, you know, and can we come? And we're having like a series or whatever. She says, you know, I've been here for 20 years and you're the first person that has ever invited me to come to this church. You know, it's like, wow, you know, I will come, you know, it's amazing. So it was, it just struck me because I was saying, you know, some people, you just need to ask. And you'd be amazed uh, what will be the result. So letting the Spirit do the impressions. Uh, friends or family. Sometimes we don't feel adequate to study the Bible with individuals. Uh, but hook up with someone else. Get your pastor to come. Make the appointment. Make the connection. Uh, sometimes we take Bible study too formally also. Uh, there are many resources out there. If you go to lo- your local ABC just of like 20 Bible verses on salvation. You don't need to know how to connect them. There is power in the Word of God. So you can just, you and the person can just read the Bible verses. And you'll be amazed. Questions start popping up. You can start writing the questions and say, you know, I'm sorry. I'm not able to answer that right now. But when we'll meet again, and then you have a reason to meet with them again, right? Revival is brought about not by emotions, not by people coming to church or keeping the Sabbath, but by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Principle number five. This is tough. You must be willing to lose a friend when reaching out. And that's even harder when it's family. Uh, You know, we've taken the... We've taken the example of the atheist uncle who's giving a barbecue and so forth. But did you know that the same principles applies if you're living in a home and your brother doesn't go to church anymore and doesn't even believe really in God anymore or does, has never believed in God? Or if your mom or dad or your spouse 
I think it's the hardest it's when people that we wake up with every day in our house that don't believe anymore or that don't believe, period. Those are the most difficult individuals to reach. But I believe that the principles of God are eternal. If they're good for the uncle, if they're good for the sinner out there, it's the same principle for the person right beside me. Um, you must be willing to lose friend when reaching out. And do you know, I will go even further to say, you should probably be willing to lose your life for the salvation of someone. I was sharing with my brother a story from uh, in the Great Controversy. I forget the name of the, the reformer, but it was one of the reformers that was very, uh, I guess he used to be just a local priest, but he became a Protestant. And, you know, back in those days, they used to burn him. So the bishop of the area, he was very upset. He wanted to get this guy and to, just to, to burn the guy. And um, one day the little priest or monk or whatever he was, the Holy Spirit led him to do something. What changes people's lives? Am I the one that changes them? No. It's what two things? God's Spirit and His Word. And those brought about by first principle, you must become a servant. So he came to the door of the bishop and he knocked at the door and the door opened and there's the bishop with all his pomp and whatever and he sees the priest and you know his face turns into anger and then the first words that the little monk or priest says is father I've come to confess ah, you know like he <laughs> it's like finally this little guy he saw the light you know so what the guy did is that he had a Bible with him and that he knelt down to confess, because that's what priests do to their superiors. They confess their sins in those little boxes. So he knelt down and he says, Father, I am so sorry. I'm so confused. Uh, I really believe that, that we're saved by works and that I needed to do Hail Marys. But then, then I read in Matthew 28, and, and this is what it said. And it said this and this and this. And, and it brought about confusion. And I thought, well, maybe it's just because it says this. But then I, I turned to Ecclesiastes, and then this is what it said. And it said, the living know, and this and that. And then it brought more confusion. And so what I did is I, I was reading, and I turned to Ephesians chapter 6. And then Ephesians explained to me how, and so he went for half an hour, you know, from Bible verse to Bible verse. And do you know that that bishop became a reformer also? It's amazing, you know. So there was that concept of, being willing to lose his life because he could have, the bishop could have caught him right there and, and burned him, right? But why did he do that? Did he do that because for own so he can have a crown of, you know, uh, no. He knew he would lose his life, but he had a burden for souls. He had a burden to be able to reach those that were as close to him, his surrounding. And you know, the bishops were all united. Uh, so in, I guess that was their family because they didn't get married, those priests in those days. So he had a burden to reach that individual and he was willing to lose his life to be able to do it. And God was able to turn that around by using the methods. So being a servant, uh, hum humbling himself, but he understood it's the Spirit of God and the Word of God that brings about transformation. Be willing to lose a friend and even lose your life. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 and 38, uh, I won't read it, but what it says is that Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. I came to put a mother against her daughter, a father against his son. That's a hard text. And when you accept Christ and you live in the middle of people that don't accept Christ, whether they call themselves Adventist Christians or whatever, you sense that. 
you sense that there's always a tension because you're going one way and they're not. And in everything from diet to entertainment to the way you think to movie, anything influences your life and brings about sometimes a friction. My wife and I, we, um, we, we started to befriend a family, and especially my wife uh, was good friends with the lady. And um, very good friends, they would talk a lot. And then uh, the lady was kind of raised up a little bit of Christian. And, but it was the lady, as she saw our lifestyle or whatever, she says, well, she was talking about how she would, oh, this is how it happened. She went to the doctor for anxiety or something like that. No, a counselor. And the counselor suggested that she should read the Bible. You know, it's amazing. So, so then my wife just asked, you know, do you want to do this together? Uh, can we read together? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, wonderful. So then what they started to do every week, they started to study the Bible together. So she would come across our house and they would study. But, you know, as we were talking, and my wife and I talk a lot, she talks a lot, I listen. <laughs> I was saying, you know, I said, sweetie, you not, I think we need to be willing to lose the friend. And because I guess as they were covering topics, you know, my wife was saying, you know, what if she doesn't accept or maybe there's some resistance here. And, you know, your relationship can never be the same again. You know what I mean? Because now they know and they feel even more judged of what they should believe or should do. And, and so the, when there's no knowledge, it's, it can be kind of grayish, you know. But when there is knowledge, it's not just the knowledge that they know what you believe. It's that the Holy Spirit has brought about convictions. And if they reject the truth, most of the time they will also try to stay away from you as a friend. Do you know that? And that hurts. You know, because they were good, they would go jogging together, do different things together. And now she's realizing that I may lose a friend over this. I mean, this is a good friend. And I'm saying, sweetie, you need to be willing to lose a friend. Because imagine if you decide, no, 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 we're just going to talk about love and Jesus and faith. and what, That's all we're going to talk about. And in the end, you spend eternity without her. And she can look at you and says, you know, you knew all this stuff. How come you never told me? You know, even, even the liberation that people can have, do you know that just the fact that you know that when you're dead, you're dead, that brings about so much peace? You don't realize that. But so many people struggle with concepts of afterlife, of ghosts, of fear of what's going to happen. Do you know that? A lot of people fear about these things. But just the concept, the doctrine of the state of the dead brings about so much peace for us. So I'm saying even the peace and the joy that she can experience here on earth, not even talking about heaven, is something that you're taking away from her. Wouldn't you want her to know all these things? And you know, we talked about it and she says, you know, you're right. And uh, I don't know what happened. I guess the lady got more busy or whatever. And she started separating herself more and more. I think it hurt my wife, you know, a lot.
because it's like, look, this is my good friend. She lives really close by. She's not coming to visit. She doesn't have time for me anymore. Uh, but I'm saying we're doing the right thing because, but we're going to be like a dog. Amen? We're going to be, <laughs> we're just going to wait there. Be like a servant. We're not going to take it personally. We're not, any opportunity we have, we're going to go and bring bread. We're not going to encroach upon her life, but we're going to be there. Hurt or not hurt, because I'm going to be a Jew to the Jew, week to the week, so that I can save one. And if I need to do that for the rest of my life towards this girl, as long as this lady is not telling me, get out of my house or get out of my life, I will be there. I will swallow my pride. I will limit or get rid of my rights, and I will just be there. And do you know what has happened is that this lady has turned around, you know, and we were able to go and visit the family and everything. So it's, it's amazing how um, God's principles does work. That, but we need to be able to follow them, be servant, give up your rights, be there just to be able to uh, help the individuals, be willing to lose a friend. If we lose a friend, it's fine, but at least we have given the person opportunity to know Jesus Christ. And, um, and I think that is really being friendly is to help people in the kingdom of God. Uh, another point I think it's important to, to uh, realize is that people are at different stages spiritually. Um, and I've shared this somewhere else before, but it's good to reiterate. Um, this is not very accurate, but it's just to help you to understand a little bit where people have different spiritual interests. So, you know, if you classify this as negative eight being like they have no spiritual interest whatsoever, right? Then number two or negative two would be like they're, they're seekers. They want to know uh, a little bit more. So they're it's like the spiritual interest grows as you go to zero. Zero would be your point of conversion. When someone actually surrenders their heart to Jesus, number two would be like um, a brand new Christian that everything's excited and he's hitting people over the head with the Bible. And, but that's all right because Jesus is coming soon. And if you don't surrender your life to Jesus right now, you're in big trouble. But I'm excited. I don't care what you think, you know. And then you have, sorry, that would be positive eight, right? Positive eight would be the mature disciple. You know, the one that has gone through tests and trials and stand firm from Jesus and a man of faith or a woman of faith, a woman of prayer. And you don't have to be old to be there. And you know what? You don't even have to be sometimes Adventist to be there. And do you know that there are people that are Adventist and even pastors that are here? So it's interest, spiritual interest is regardless of what your profession of faith is. There are elders, even in the church, that will be here and they know a lot about the Bible, but really spiritual interests. When I talk about spiritual interests, I talk about to be able to reach out to them for Jesus. And there's that interest, that response, right? So people are at different stages spiritually. Pray for discernment to reach them where they are at. Pray for discernment. That's principle number six. People are at different stages spiritually. Pray for discernment to reach them where they are at. Do you know that the Holy Spirit will give you discernment on what you need to do. It's amazing how God's Spirit, when you plead for the Spirit of God, He will guide you on what you ought to do to reach these individuals. Uh, principle number seven. Principle number seven is love must be the ultimate motivation to reach your loved ones. Uh, love must be the ultimate motivation. 
Why do you want to reach your loved ones? Do you want to reach, do I want to reach my uncle so that when I go to the barbecues, I don't, they will stop bugging me, that they will be nice to me, that I will feel more comfortable with them? What's the reason that I want to reach those that are close to me? Is there a selfish motive so that she can, he or she, my mom can cook vegetarian or whatever it is? You know, there's all kinds of motives that we have in the back of our minds why it will make our lives better, our lives easier. Uh, selfishness is so ingrained in us. But do you know that selfishness can be smelled? Do you know that? That people can smell selfishness, especially if you profess to be very godly. They smell it. So you need to make sure that all selfish motives are out. And so you have to pray the prayer of Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and, and see if there be any wicked way and lead me in the way everlasting. You need to plead with God. I need to plead with God that He will take away any selfish motives so that when I help individuals, when I show compassion, its ultimate motivation is love. Principle 7, right? Um, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave. It is love that motivated God to give. And it is love that motivated Christ to come. In Desire of Ages, this is one of my favorite quotes. It says, Love to man is the earthward manifestation of the love of God. Page 641. It was to implant this love to make us children of one family that the King of glory became one with us. And when his parting words are fulfilled, love one another as I have loved you. When we love the world as he has loved it, then for us his mission is accomplished. We are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. Powerful quote. Um, principle number eight, the last principle I want to share is that there is power there is power in prayer. Never underestimate the power of prayer in interceding for a loved one. Meaning, when you have followed each principle that you know, and you consistently follow each one to be able to reach your loved ones, it is still, there is still a factor called time. Sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's a year, and sometimes it's 10 years. But the concept is that you, we need to continue following the same principles, understanding that there is time, leaving the time to God's hands, but praying. Praying like if your life depends on it, because their eternal life, most of the time, does depend upon your prayers. Uh, Great Controversy, page 525, it says, It is a part of God's plan to grant us an answer to the prayer of faith, that which He would not bestow, did we not thus ask. So you're thinking, well, God's doing everything to save everybody anyways. Friends, God is limited in what He can do many times because this person has chosen Satan, and when God comes, He says, no way. She has chosen to live her life, and if God comes just to go, Satan will say, no, she's mine. She's not asking you to come. Get out. She's decided to do her own thing. She clearly, by her actions, her thoughts, has chosen me. So regardless if she goes to church or not, so leave her alone. But then when he starts praying for her, it's as if it gives, you know, like in the justice system, we have a warrant. The police can't come into my house and start looking. But if they have enough evidence of something, they can ask, request for a warrant. And with a warrant, now they can come in my house, bust it open and come right in. And so it's the same thing. When he starts praying, Christ comes or the angels come. 
And Satan says, no, she's chosen me. He says, yeah, that's right, but he's prayed, and I have a warrant. I can be able, you know, gives him more authority and more power to start working in her life, right? So I think it's important to realize, sometimes we say, well, let's just pray, God bless my mom, bless uncle so-and-so, and bless so-and-so, and amen. Not realizing that within our hands, we have the power to be able to give God a warrant to really go and to do amazing things in people's life. And sometimes God may not be able to go and knock right at the door, but He may allow a sickness or an accident to happen. You know, it's amazing what God will do. What you're saying to God is, I know she has chosen Satan, but do what you have to do, and He will start doing what He needs to do to answer your prayer, because God hears the prayer of those that are surrendered to Him. There was a lady called Melinda. When I was maybe 15, 13 or whatever, I, I remember listening to a story, and it really marked me. There's a lot of stories, I guess, like that, but this principle that what we're sharing really brings it out. I'm going to call her Melinda for whatever's sake. And her husband was an alcoholic. He would drink a lot and come home drunk. When he wasn't drunk, he was very nice, you know. <laughs> But when he was drunk, you know, there's happy drunk, there's mean drunk, there's, uh, there's all kinds of different drunk people, right? And um, he wasn't that nice when he was drunk. And, um, and when you're living with people that, that don't believe as you do, I think it's important to be able to control the way that you think about them. Because sometimes we think, well, my thoughts, no one can read and whatever. I know I need to be kind as a Christian, so I'll be kind. But be careful what you think, because what you think will be manifested in the way you act sooner or later. So she had asked God to help her with her thoughts. And this is the way that she dealt with it. Um, the first point is that she would remind herself, I may be the only hope that he, I think I'm the only hope that he will ever have to know Christ. That was the first point. So whenever you come home drunk and be mean or whatever, she would just kind of remind herself of that. The second point is that she would tell herself, if this world is the only happiness he has, I'll just make it as good as possible for him. Meaning is that concept of instead of being angry, this concept of pity almost for the individual, um, saying, you know, he wouldn't hit her. And if he would hit her, I personally, I would suggest she would leave, you know, and then deal with other issues, but he wouldn't hit her. It's just, you know, taking all the money, drinking it away, coming in, smashing things, type of things like that. Um, and one day the husband was in the bar with his two friends and they had an argument, as you do when you get drunk, with the two friends on who's the man in their house. <laughs> who's the real man? And as everybody was talking about how they were the man in their house. And he was saying, no, I am the man in my house. And he says, you know what, guys? We, and it was like 2 in the morning. We're going to go right now to my house, and we're going to tell my wife to cook, and she's going to cook food. It's like, nah, that's impossible. No way. I'm the man. You know? <laughs> Slobbering and everything. You know, I'll tell you I'm the man. So they said, all right. So they stumbled out of the bar, and he lived like a few houses down. So they stumbled into the house at like 2 in the morning. And... Uh, you know, stumbling, sitting down, hey, you know, whatever her name, Melinda, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Melinda, 
Well, I have my friends. Cook now. I said no. You must become a servant. <laughs> you know, your thought is like, <laughs> talk to the hand, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm a human being. You know, you don't need to treat me. I'm asking you just to treat, you don't tr if you don't want to treat me like a wife, that's fine. But at least treat me like a human being. Treat me like you would even treat your dog. Do you know that there's people that treat their dogs better than treat their wives or their children? So she could have thought of that. And I think as a human being, that's the right, it's a normal thing to think. But she had a different purpose in mind. If your thought is to bring salvation, do you know that there's a lot of anxiety, depression, stress, and things like that that will never affect you? It's amazing. When I look at my siblings and I see some of what they are struggling with, with the way that we were brought up and so many things, and I was the sh most shy of all four kids, I should be the one that be the most messed up of all of them. I'll be honest. But it's, of course it's the grace of God. But as I study, I begin to realize is when my mind is focused on helping and blessing and bringing salvation to others, it's like the water that's springing out of that hose that I talked about, that nothing can defile it. You know, it's not, I'm not saying that you don't have weak moments or moments that you feel discouraged, but I've never had moments that you start questioning, does God exist? Or, you know, there's a stability because it's not about all about me and about how I feel and about this. It's about how I can bring salvation to my husband, to my wife, to my brother, to my uncle, to my sister. That's my purpose of living. And I have to be like a dog and I will wait upon them. But I'm not struggling emotionally or with complexes because I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about becoming a Jew to a Jew, a week to a week, becoming whatever I need to do to be able to bring salvation to them. My happiness, my security comes from God. I don't need them to be secure. I want them to experience what I am experiencing. And so she knelt by her bed to ask God for the strength to be sweet, to be kind. She got up at 2 in the morning, came down the stairs, greeted everybody, and went into the kitchen and started cooking at 2 in the morning for the guys. <laughs> and, you know, the two were like, no way, no way. Like, she didn't do that. And I was like, whoa. And they, the two, even though they were drunk, I guess they weren't stone drunk, they started realizing, and they started being embarrassed. So they, the two left and stumbled out of the house. So she's cooking in there for like 30 minutes or whatever, heating up whatever she can. And she comes out with the food, and there's only her husband there. And she's like, well, where are your friends, sweetie? And he's saying, he just started crying, and he says, why do you treat me so good when I treat you so bad? And that's a moment. And she says, sweetie, let me sit down. So she sits down with her, and she led her husband to Christ. I remember it was like six to ten years that this guy was drinking and rejecting, you know. So it's not like if, by the way, she was not an Adventist before. So when she became Adventist, it's at least six or seven years after. So it's not like if she became Adventist one Sabbath, he still drink. It's not like if this happened once or after a month or two months. This is six, seven years. And you know, you're thinking, girl, you don't need to take that. 
You got your rights you need to stand for. You know what? And, and you know what? He's a, you are superior to him. You know, he's a bunch of, just kick him out, you know? And you, what do you mean don't judge? This guy, his actions, you can tell. He's not going to change. It's been seven years. You've given him a chance. You know, I would have given him a year, maybe two, but you've prayed over him. You're messing up your life. You're messing up your future. You're messing up your sleep, whatever, whatever. You, you're poor as a church mouse because he's drinking all the money. Just get, get out of this relationship. But you know, there's something about the Spirit of God. Did you know that the Spirit of God should have given up on you and me a long time ago? But the Spirit of God is persistent day in, day out. With all the truth that you know and the little that you do, <laughs> the Spirit of God right now should walk out of our lives, right now. But the Spirit doesn't. There's something about the Spirit of God that keeps. And what blows my mind is the Spirit of God knows that this guy is going to be lost in the end because God knows if he's going to be saved or lost. But the Spirit of God will keep working with him Keep working. He knows he's going to choose eternal life, eternal death in the end. But he works and he works and he works still with the knowledge. It's almost as if lying to yourself or hoping against hope that he will one day accept Jesus. It's amazing. That love that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have for us. I would dare to say that the Spirit of God works even harder on those that in the end will reject him. You know, I don't have the time to look into that. But in the Bible, you know, Jesus could have rebuked Judas many times. Judas would steal from the money bag, and Jesus knew that. He could have rebuked him, put him straight, rejected, kicked him out, of whatever. But he didn't. One, because of the disciples esteemed Judas, and it would have brought about something interesting there. But number two, because he wanted to save Judas. And in Desire of Ages, we're told that when Judas left the upper room to betray Jesus, we are told that that's when his probation ended. Meaning up to that point, he could have. But when Jesus washed his feet and Judas' heart was softened for a moment, and then he hardened himself for good, and then he started eating, and then he took, stood up and went to betray Jesus. And why it says up to that time he could have turned back. But when the door closed to the upper room, the door shut of mercy shut in his life. That was it. But what's interesting to note is that when Judas comes to the Garden of Gethsemane and finds Jesus and gives him a kiss, you know, Jesus doesn't say, What? You're kissing me? You're, do you know... You know, <laughs> Jesus could have said all kinds of stuff. It's like, you traitor, how could you do this to me? I've treated you so kind. You know, I've helped you. I've done this. I've taught you. I've, I've put you on. How could you do this to me? That's not what Jesus says. The first thing is that Jesus says, friend. In Matthew, I think it's in Matthew, he calls him friend. It's powerful. <laughs> and you know what he says? He says, friend. What doest thou here? What are you doing? Jesus knew that Judas' probation was over. He knew he was lost. But yet there's something in Jesus that could not let him go. And so he's calling him friend, and he's asking him a rhetorical question 
you know, as he would do to anyone else that he's trying to save, trying to say, Judas, wake up, what are you doing? In his mind, he knows Judas is lost, that's it. But in here, I don't know where here or here, <laughs> but one of them knows, and the other refuses to accept the fact, to say no. Even though I know he's lost, I still need to reach out because that's my baby, that's my child. I want to save that person. That's the way God treats us, in that he keeps reaching out to us, even though he may know in the end we will be lost eternally. And do you know that if you allow God's Spirit to work in you, God's Spirit will do the same thing. Does that make sense? Because if the Spirit is the one that keeps persevering with us, if you allow the Spirit in us, now when I start working towards my friend, my sister, my brother, that same Spirit will be the same thing. I will do whatever I need to do, humble myself to whatever extent, so that I can be able to win one for Jesus Christ, right? I think it's important for us to understand the way that the Spirit works. Because the way the Spirit works on me is the same way He's going to work through me to reach someone else. It's not a different formula. It's the same Spirit. So I must be in tune with the way He works to be able to be more effective in reaching others. So she led her husband to Christ. Um, I have so many stories. So many stories. Uh, I'll share one. Maybe you've heard this before, but I, it's, it's the power of the Word of God. Uh, I was giving Bible studies to a couple, and I uh, had studied about six months with them, and uh, it just wasn't going anywhere. And at the end, you know, I got to that point where I realized, I think I'm wasting my time because... It's not going anywhere, you know. I'm, the lady, she had been molested when she was young, and she just saw God as a mean figure, and I just couldn't get past the point where she could just surrender her heart to God. And in my understanding, I'm thinking, we can study the Sabbath and other things, but unless someone surrenders their heart to God, all those things are irrelevant, you know. I mean, the reason I want to keep the Sabbath is because I surrender my heart, and I, I want to do what God, you know, what I... So every, you know, for six months, every week I would go and we would start with Steps to Christ, with John 3.16, with, you know, these kind of things. And she says, John, you know, I understand, but I, I, just, I just can't bring myself to surrender. I just can't, you know. And I was praying, I was praying. Uh, we would study all kinds of texts, uh, but nothing. And I remember one day, it's her and her husband, one day I came to the house and I parked the car and I was saying, God, I'm wasting my time. You know, she's not moving. He doesn't, I mean, he's listening, but I don't know if he's getting anything. And, um, you know, it's a waste of time, waste of gas. I mean, they're nice people, but <laughs> I can visit, you know, once a month. or one. Why did I keep doing this? And, you know, I almost turned around to go home. Just give him an excuse or whatever. But that's when the Holy Spirit impressed me and says, John, you do your work and I do mine. Basically what God was saying is, you are not the Holy Spirit. You have a responsibility to share my truth as long as they are open, to be friendly, to have compassion upon them. It's my responsibility, God says, to be able to convert hearts and change lives. And it was like, that was the clearest, that, the clearest revelation I've ever had according to this, of my role and God's role. And so I said, okay, 
So I turned the key off and the car off. I went into the house. We started talking, started John 3.16, started you know, sharing with them uh, about how Jesus can help them. And then right in the middle of the conversation, it had nothing to do with what we were talking about, the woman looked at me and she says, John, my husband is not the same anymore since you've been coming to study the Bible with us. And the, Bible, the husband's right there, right? And I'm thinking, wow, what do you mean? And she keeps talking. She says, you know, he used to hit me. He used to cuss and swear, and he doesn't do that anymore. He says, he's a different man. He's changed. And it's like, it's all quiet. <laughs> you know, she said a few other things, but that's basically the gist of the, what she was saying, or, you know, what she said. And so I'm here. The wife is, is here, and the husband is there. And it's quiet. And I don't know what to say. <laughs> and she... He, I'm looking at her, I'm at him, and he just turns red, like red, beet red. And he looks at me, and he looks at her, and he looks at me. It's <laughs> like, you ever feel like you could just disappear or something? <laughs> Become like an ant and just crawl away? It was one of those moments. And he says softly, it's amazing, he says softly, I didn't change. He says, no, I didn't change. And he started saying louder, I didn't change. And he said, I didn't change. And he's getting angry. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and he looked at me and he started crying like a baby. And he says, Jesus changed me. That's like, wow. And I remember leaving that house. I was like floored. It's like, wow. The word of God and the spirit of God, powerful stuff. That's not my responsibility is not to convert people. My responsibility is to humble myself, become like a servant. My whole purpose of existence is just to be there like a dog and bring a bread and rake their lawn and take them a glass of water and just feel almost like a servant, feel almost like if I'm being used, but I'm willing to do it and I don't have any issues about it because I have a purpose. The purpose is not my comfort. The purpose is their salvation. That's why I'm willing as a literature evangelist to go on door, knock on doors. Is it fun to knock on doors? No. Do I get rejected? Yes. Do I like to be rejected? No. There's no nice feelings. I don't think you ever get to the point where you knock at doors and say, He rejected me. Yeah, I love that. No, you never get to that point. You wake up in the morning and you still, I still have butterflies and says, Man, do I need to do this? <laughs> but there's a, there's a purpose. The purpose is I become a Jew to a Jew, a slave to a slave, a sinner to a sinner, an atheist to an atheist. I humble myself. I give up my rights. Why? Because maybe that's the only way that I can reach some for Christ. And I would suggest to you that it's the only way to reach our loved ones. You know, sometimes we kid ourselves and say, you know, I'll just pray and God somehow, somewhere through His Spirit, maybe through Mark Finley's satellite or something, will buzz into His head and somehow He'll find Jesus. No. <laughs> God has you there for a purpose. The people that He's put around your sphere of influence are there for a purpose. God is to reach them through you. You may not be the last link in the change, but you're definitely one link that will make a difference. So I will humble myself. I will give up my rights. I won't talk unless I'm asked to, or unless the Holy Spirit opens up a door for me. And 
I will be a friend, realizing that it's not just about being friendly, because there's many Adventists that are friendly, but it goes nowhere. And it's not just about hitting people over the head, because that just turns people off. It's about combining the two, being friendly, being compassionate, being loving, even though I'm persecuted, even though I'm being made up, I, fun of, I will keep doing that, I will keep submitting myself, gaining strength and security from Jesus, and I will keep going where the people are, loving them, showing compassion, because maybe like Melinda, that will be the breakthrough for your family members. Friends, there is power in an individual that is humble, submitted to the working of the Spirit. There is amazing power. Never underestimate the power. There's, oh, there's so many other stories I could share. Ah, but uh, resource. One of a good resource if you want to uh, read to how to reach your loved ones. It's an old book, but it's been reprinted in the last couple years, maybe four years, five years. It's called Path to the Heart. Path to the Heart. It's one of the most powerful books I've ever read about how to reach your loved ones. It's by Glenn Kuhn, C-O-O-N. It was written maybe over 50 years ago, but um, it's an amazing book, Path to the Heart. And he just tells story. He was a path pastor evangelist but he just tells story after story after story and he has the principles the bible principles that that he weaves through it all and it makes sense you know as you're reading and you're understanding you know how to be tactful how to react in certain different circumstances what he does is that he gives a lot of practical examples about individuals that didn't know god and how they came to know god he also goes on to explain different ways to reach those that are not family members or friend. So uh, if you can get your hand on one of that book, on that book, uh, it's, it's a powerful book. Uh, um, I think if you can leave with this last thought is that if it is the Holy Spirit that brings about conversion, we need to take very seriously our role of submitting and pleading for the impartation of that gift. Ellen White tells us that we don't pray nearly, you know, as much as we should for the Holy Spirit in our lives. She also tells us that where the Spirit is not appreciated, the Spirit leaves. You know, meaning I don't cherish, I don't value, then it just goes and finds someone else, I guess, that values and cherishes. So all I'm saying is, unfortunately, many times, we are not filled with the Spirit. We're being influenced by the Spirit. But there's a difference between the Spirit influencing me to do right and the Spirit in me causing me to do right. You know, there's, it's conversion. It's, that's the difference. And many of us, unfortunately, we haven't learned to surrender our hearts to Jesus Christ. So I think that's my appeal to you. Uh, if you want to reach your loved ones and you are not reached yourselves, good luck. That's it. That's it. So need to focus, do the first work. Search your heart, seek God. You know what you need to surrender. Maybe you don't have strength, so be honest with God and say, God, look, I don't want to give this up. I don't want to give this up. But Lord, I want to get to the point where I can give it up. Please come in my life. God will take you wherever you're at. I don't want to live like these holy people. 
I want to have fun. I want to do this. Talk with God. Be honest. But there's no point in you reaching anybody, and you won't reach anybody unless you first surrender to God. So I think that's the first work we need to do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, please, Father, take our sinful hearts, our sinful minds, our selfish motives. Forgive us, O Lord, for at times we have not exemplified your character. For at times we have not always submitted to you. There's anything in our hearts that separate us from you. We submit it to you now. And help us day by day. May this be the first work. May this be moment by moment that we may be submitted to your spirit, to your will. And fill us, Father, with your spirit without measure to be able to do great and mighty works for you. Lord, there are people around us that we want to experience the joys that we have. Heaven will not be the same if they are not there. And Lord, we don't really know exactly how to reach them, but you have outlined principles and you have promised your spirit. And so I plead, help us, O oh Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to apply these principles in our lives. Stamp upon our hearts these principles. May it become part of us, of who we are, to be servant, to be Christ-like, to be loving, to be compassionate, to be patient, to understand that your word is what, and your spirit is what brings about conversion, to offer to study the Bible, to offer to share your word with others. Help us to move out of our comfort zone to be able to willing to do that. And Lord, as we do what we can, we wait upon you humbly, believing that you will finish the work that you have begun in all of our family and friends. Thank you, Lord, for doing it. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.